Chapter Thirty One Defending the Sun Children of the Lost City. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Lost City by Joseph E. Badger, Jr. Chapter Thirty One Defending the Sun Children. Louder than ever rose the voice of Lord Hua, after witnessing the fall of his ally, the High Priest. In spite of the great odds against the bodyguards, he began to fear lest his intended prey should even yet slip through his evil clutches. Fiercer than ever rang forth his curses and imprecations upon the head of the Aztec, who thus dared the vengeance of all the gods by lifting hand in arms against the anointed. And then, his own nerves strung by those very efforts to inspire others, Lord Hua forged nearer the front, eager to behold all his hated enemies crushed to earth as by a single stroke. And then, with vicious force, he hurled his javelin straight for the white throat of the sun-child, who had scorned his fawning advances, and only the ever-ready eye, the true hand, the strong arm of Azotl, again warded off grim death from the fair god's child. Caught upon that trusty shield one instant, the next turned toward its original owner, to quiver for the barest fraction of time in that vengeful grip, then, gloriously true to the hero's will and intent, sped the javelin home. Home to the false heart of false prince, grinding through skin and flesh and bones, cleaving that hot organ with broad blade of tempered copper, forcing one vicious screech from those tortured lungs, then causing that bulk to measure its length upon the blood-sprinkled sands. Once again the heathen involuntarily recoiled as death claimed a high victim. Once more the band of true hearts slightly quickened their pace towards the temple now nigh at hand. Yet those lessened numbers never once betrayed fear, or doubt, or faltering. Grimly true to their trust, they fell back in the best of order, fighting as they moved, beating back the heathen hosts, as though each man was a god, and their strong arms a wall of steel. Here and there a true heart sank to earth, with a hand of death veiling his eyes, but he died in silence, no cry of fear, no moan of pain, no pitiful appeal for mercy at the hands of his maddened people. They knew their sworn duty, and like true hearts they trod that narrow path unto the very end. Although with gradually lessening numbers, the bodyguard remained practically the same, Still in a hollow square, with the children of the sun-god in the centre, they slowly, doggedly, fell back, ever facing the ravening foe, ever moving shoulder to shoulder as a single man. Then, just as Bruno Gillespie was refilling his emptied revolver, the base of the tall pyramidal temple was won, and still protecting their fair-haired charge, the bodyguard ascended to the second terrace, beating back such of the wild rabble as pressed them too closely. Again that wonderful barking death came into play, and Bruno felt a strangely savage joy, gnawing at his heart as he saw more than one stalwart warrior 
reeled dizzily back from his hot hail. "'For Ixley, you curs! That for Ixley! Down and eat dirt, dogs!' Scarcely could his own ears catch those sounds, although he shouted with the full power of his strong young lungs, so indescribably horrid was the din and tumult. Up another flight of steps, then yet another, although the crazed rabble was not pressing them so very hard just now. Still their number forbade a fourfold division as yet, and Azotl feared lest the blood-ravening mob attempt to head off their flight by taking possession of the other stairs, thus being first to occupy yonder flat arena high above the earth whereupon he hoped to still protect the sun-children, even though he must lay down his life to maintain their lease. Lacking an acknowledged leader, the furious mass thought only of crushing the faithful band by mere weight of numbers, taking no thought in advance, else the end might well have been precipitated. Arrows, spears, javelins, stones from slings poured upon the bodyguard in almost countless numbers, now and then claiming a true heart as victim, whereupon the rabble howled afresh in drunken triumph, but where a single man died in the performance of his oath-bound duty, half a score heathen bit the dust and groveled out his remnant of life, yonder where most viciously trampled the feet of his fellow brutes. Pausing barely long enough to beat back the crazed rush, which came so close upon their retreat, the band of brothers would then slowly, doggedly fall back another of those mighty steps, with bared teeth and blazing eyes, longing to end all by one joyous plunge into the thick of their assailants, dying with their chosen dead. Five separate times that upward flight, and five times the grim pause to give death another portion of his red feast— Five times the blood-lapping mob dashed against the band of brothers. Five times they were hurled back, leaving more dead and dying there to mark the savage struggle. And then, sadly decimated at each halt, less in numbers as they passed farther from earth to climb nearer the blue sky, the survivors won the crest of the Teokalili, still fighting, still beating back such as followed their steps more closely. Ere that brilliant retreat began, t'would have taken close ranks for the bodyguard to find standing room upon the temple-top. But now Azotl called for a division of his force, since there were four separate avenues of approach, of which the enemy was prompt to avail itself. "'For the sun-children, my brothers!' he cried, his voice rising even above that awful tumult and turmoil. "'Guard them with your lives!' Little need to waste breath in so adjuring. Of all thus enlisted, not one of the true hearts but proved worthy that trust. Not one brave who took care for his own life. Not one but was ready to die in order to save, and thus far not a single wound had won so far as either child of the fair god. Even now, while the heathen were raging more viciously than ever, crowding each terrace and jamming each flight of steps to the verge of suffocation, strong arms were shielding them, true hearts were thinking how best they might be served. 
Time and again Azotl warded away winged death as it sought to claim Victo for its prey, and Bruno Gillespie, no whit less brave if somewhat lacking in warlike experience, made Gladys his special care, sending shot or dealing knife-thrust in her defense, barely giving thought to his own safety as a side-issue. Those broad terraces bore ugly pools and irregular patches of red blood. The various flights of stone steps grew slippery and uncertain as they likewise began to steam. Yet forward and upward pressed the howling mob, and desperately fought the doomed bodyguard above. Faster fly the deadly missiles, too many but far for even the keenest eye to guard against them all. One and another of those gallant defenders drop away, only because death had claimed them, not because of fear or of bodily anguish. Azotl staggers, an arrow is quivering in his broad bosom, but still he fights on, dealing death with each blow of his blood-tripping handwood. A stone lays open his brow, but heavier and faster plays his terrible weapon. A javelin flashes briefly, then the red copper vanishes from sight, while the ashen shaft slowly dies crimson, as the hot life-blood issues. A last dying stroke, and the red heron sinks at the feet of his adoration, faithful unto the last, his brave soul going forth to join with that of Ixley, the last of a gallant family. Victo gives a wild cry of vengeance, then snatches up bow and quiver where he let fall by a death-smitten warrior, and wings swift death to the slayer of her captain of the guard. An awful melee, where the odds were momentarily increasing, where one man was forced to do the work to do the work of a score, where death inevitable awaited all, unless a miracle should intervene, and that miracle— Shrilly rang forth the voice of Victoria Edgecombe, as, amidst the fury of battle, she caught sight of the airship swiftly darting that way through the clear atmosphere, bent on saving, if saving might be. The peculiar sound which attended the exploding of a dynamite cartridge heralded the death of more than one Aztec, and as the swift rattle of revolvers added to the uproar, there was an involuntary recoiling, a terrified shrinking which was employed to the best advantage by the air voyagers. The aerostat barely landed upon the top of the temple, before Cooper Edgecombe, with a wild scream of ecstatic joy, caught his wife in his arms and hurried her into the car, while Waldo and Uncle Phaeton aided Bruno. End of chapter 31